Hi, my name is Skipper Chong Warson. I'm a design director in San Francisco, and welcome to the show, How This Works. This is where I invite people on to talk about a topic they know incredibly well. Today, I'm fortunate to have Jake Kahana with me. Thanks for being here, Jake. Yeah, thanks, Skipper. Thanks for having me. Let's start off with you introducing yourself. Would you tell us in two to three sentences who you are, where you come from, all the important details? Two to three sentences, tough. Uh, these days, but sure. Um, so I'm Jake Kahana. I grew up in the suburbs of Chicago, and after a decade in LA, I'm now living in New York, and in and around New York, um, as a designer, an educator, and an entrepreneur. I don't know that I realized that you lived in LA. Yeah, I went to school there. I, I uh, went to film school uh, and wanted to work in animation. I was going to go work at Pixar. And uh, my first semester, I took an animation course, and I realized, I said, oh, shit, this is not for me. I, <laughs> I need to figure out what I want to do. And, and it was actually like a blessing in disguise. It kicked off this whole, you know, my four years being like explore, exploration, which is, you know, I took music classes and acting classes, and I joined an improv troupe and, um, you know, took different kinds of art classes and found different internships and uh, made my way into advertising. And I was an art director. Uh, at a couple big agencies in LA. And as most people do in the industry, I, I sort of burned out and took a year off and traveled and through that process, met my partner and uh, moved to New York and worked here for a little bit. And I've been freelancing and uh, started Cave Day, which I'm sure we'll talk about and uh, some other things after that. Yeah, let, let's not get too ahead of ourselves. But I, I actually, for as many times as we've met and we've chatted, I don't know that I ever knew that, that you wanted to be an animator. <laughs> yeah, uh, that was my original goal. I think, you know, if you were, if you were my therapist, we would dive <laughs> deep into like wanting to make art. You know, I've, I've always, I've made art yeah. and drawn and painted my whole life, but you know, there was, there was something in like middle school, high school where I was sort of like out to prove that I could be an artist and, and still make money and still be you know, creative and not feel like I was a, you know, a starving artist. And so I think that drove me to like film and uh, entertainment. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, that, that changed again pretty quickly when I got to school, but um, I minored in animation, still love the process of, uh, you know, working with animators. I just don't want to, you know, do it myself. Yeah. To um, actually do it. Yep. My daughter's awake. You want to uh, say hi? I hear her. Uh, you called it. You said she would wake up while we were recording. All right. I have my notes here. Say hi. Hi. Okay. Remind me how old your daughter is again? She'll be two next month. Wow. There's so many changing things. I know. All right. I'm fully ready to go. Keep it going. Okay. Keep it going. So, Jake, what is the thing that we're going to talk about today? What is the topic that you know incredibly well? Yeah, sure. It's, it's hard to uh, answer that and include the question in the answer um, because I don't, I, I think a lot of us don't love bragging. Right. So it's hard for me to say, you know, Oh, what I know incredibly well, but what I know incredibly well is uh, how people focus mm. and how we get distracted so easily um, at work, not at work, working from home, whatever we're at now. Um, yeah. I spend a lot of time thinking about focus and distractions. Thanks for taking that question with such grace, Jake. Mm -hmm. Um, so would you tell me how the journey into focus work and distraction started for you? I think that the early nugget of, of where this stems from was in 20, 
13 or so. I was at an ad agency. I was working with a partner. Um, in ad agencies, you're sort of partnered up. I was an art director working with a writer. Okay. And, you know, our, our task was to write a bunch of scripts, come up with an ad campaign. And day after day after day, you know, we, we would be in the office till 9, 10 at night. That was normal. It was culture of the agency. And one week, our boss was on vacation. And so we decided, hey, you know what? We're going to work remotely. We're just going to work at the coffee shop near our house. We live near each other. Okay. And every day for that week, we were done by two or three in the afternoon. We, you know, we'd show up at 9 a.m., 9.30, whatever, and we would just finish our work early. And because we were not distracted by other people, because we weren't sort of expecting that the day was going to take long, and that early idea that, like, um, you know, work fills the time that you give it, which is called Parkinson's Law, and that the culture of advertising in general, but specifically the agency we were at, you know, was about being social and hanging out and stretching the work. And you, you knew you were going to stay late. So you might as well, you know, have a long lunch or socialize a little bit. But when we were able to focus and, and remove some of those, it was like, oh, I, I have a whole different relationship to work. I have a whole different experience of work. And so Cave Day didn't start till three or four years later. But I think that nugget of like, oh, we all work in a sort of messed up way and we, we don't really know how to work. We're just sort of making it up as we go and that's leading to some pretty bad habits and behavior. Yeah. So you mentioned a couple of things there that I'd love to, to dive into. Tell me a little bit more about Parkinson's Law. So in, in short, uh, it's it says that work fills the time that you give it. So um, we all know that experience of like, if if you have to, you know, you, you're in college, you're given uh, an essay to write and you have two months to write it. And somehow you're still staying up the night before finishing it. Mm -hmm. And if you had two weeks to write it, you'd still stay up the last night writing it. Um, and so similarly, um, you know, when we're given an assignment, we, we tend to fill the time that we're given and, and it works with things like meetings. You know, we have a 60 minute meeting and suddenly we're, We've hit the, you know, there's two minutes left. Are we all ready to wrap up? And we finished. Um, but if the same meeting was a 30-minute meeting or a 15-minute meeting, you know, you you cut through some of the BS and you fill the time with what you have. Yeah, yeah. So is, is that something that you started digging deeper into for your own work before? Um, and this is before Cave Day, right? This mm -hmm. is before you formalized it as part of a practice and working with other people to help them to focus. Uh, correct. This this was like just um, anecdotal evidence um, that you know back in in 2013 I, I had I was on a very different path. I I was sort of on this path of you know running an agency in 10 years. Um, you know being the lead creative person somewhere, and um, a lot has changed. Which maybe is time for another is a conversation for another podcast. But um, no, <laughs> sure. I, at the time it was just sort of like this is sort of a strange observation and a strange insight. And not until I started doing a lot of research with Cave Day and putting together, um, you know, I write our blog posts, I, I design and, and develop our curriculum for our workshops. Um, okay. That really wasn't formalized until much, uh, until several years later. So between uncovering the relationship between work and focus and when you started a cave day, how were you continuing to explore these notions? I think it's it's actually really interesting because probably for most of my 
uh, adult life. I'll, I'll just say like from the middle of college, you know, let, let's call it age 19 or 20 to even, even maybe like 28 or 30, you know, like a, a whole decade, I sort of prided myself on what, what my mom calls uh, work ethic, which I don't think is work ethic as much as, or, or I interpreted work ethic in that context to just be like, I work all the time. Mm. You know, I was, I was working on the weekends in college. I surrounded myself with people that like, you know, we would party in the evenings, but like Saturday was about shooting films and, you know, going to like, uh, uh, I don't know, writing meetups and, um, doing things around LA, you know, it wasn't about just sort of like day drinking all weekend, every weekend. Um, so from college through, you know, through my early twenties into my late twenties, it was like, I would work all the time. And I think that, that there were insights and, and feelings of like, Hey, this is not great anymore. Like I, you know, I, I met my partner, I, I started having desires, uh, and goals outside of just work. Okay. Uh, you know, I'm starting to look up to different kinds of bloggers and authors. And so I was reading people like Paul Jarvis and Seth Godin, Derek Sivers and Tristan Harris. I was looking at designers and creators like, uh, Tina Roth Eisenberg and Jocelyn K. Gly, uh, and, and all of those people influenced how I started thinking about my own work and process. And I'm, I, I'm also very conscious of that list and, and knowing that it's mostly white men and there's not a whole lot I can do about that. That's what I was reading at the time. I'm not going to, of course. Um, but, but this idea of like, uh, you know, spending time with family, being with friends, you know, part of what was happening is like smartphones and cell phones were becoming more and more capable of like distracting us in new ways. Instagram was becoming a thing in 2013. And, and, and so I was just aware of like, I feel like I'm working all the time and I'm not getting much further. Sure. Um, so I think there was this like conflicting feeling of, um, Hey, for, for the last 10 years, um, I've prided myself on working all the time yeah. because that was what the people around me were doing. That was what felt right. Sure. That's what sort of got me the success that I had. And then starting to realize that one, I had different values and goals and that the world was changing, that I, my priorities were changing. And it wasn't that I wanted to like do less. I was just like, I don't need to be working all weekend. I don't need to be, you know, up till midnight or one in the morning on my computer sort of working but just in front of my computer when, well, you know, now I have a girlfriend and now I, you know, a fiance and a wife now. And all of that stuff was starting to change in my life where I, I sort of realized that there's got to be a, a new way of thinking about work. Okay. All right. So all of these things are brewing. You're learning a lot more. You're sitting in this tension of, of not sure whether or not this, um, this lifestyle that contains a fair amount of work grind is the right way to approach uh, the way in which you work. Mm. So 2013, when did Cave Day start and how did it start? So when I first moved to New York, it was the end of 2014 and I started meeting people because I'm in a new city and I needed a new job. And I reconnected with a lot of people that I knew. And, and at the time I was like, I want to hang out with my friends, but 
I realized that everyone um, wanted to just go get brunch and that people that I knew were not my friends. They were just people that I went went to college with or people that I used to work with. And so uh, I decided to sort of turn this into a, a project and I created a little club and a little design project for me that I called you're better than brunch. Okay. I was like, I, nice. I want to see these, I want to see these people. I want to meet like amazing people who f- value the same things that I do. And so you're better than brunch was this monthly adventure club. Okay. Uh, you, you'd sign up, uh, you'd sign up and I would design and mail you in the mail an, a postcard, which would be, uh, your invitation to an event that month. Ooh, nice. And we would do, uh, we would do like the Russian and Turkish baths in the East Village. We did like a hot sauce festival. <laughs> we did a tour of the Chelsea galleries. Nice. Uh, and my whole thing was like, we live in New York City. Let's get our coffee and bagel to go. Yeah. And let's explore. Yeah. So I did that for about two and a half years, and I loved it. And I. It was a lot of work, you know, yeah. I was designing, I was researching and then designing and then mailing and, you know, I, I, it was a lot of work. Um, but I met some amazing people and people that I'm still, that these are like my friends now, not just like my old coworkers and the people that I know in New York. Got it. And, and I was getting married and I sort of felt like, Hey, that project has sort of run its course. I'm, I'm, I don't need to like make new friends and go on adventures. I have an adventure partner. I have my friends and I, I've, I've sort of done it. So um, to sum the, the, the this project up, to sum up You're Better Than Brunch, um, I ran a retreat. Okay. I got, I, I won like a small little grant that was helpful in like putting together this retreat. Uh, and I had 14 people upstate to explore what You're Better Than Brunch means in the larger context of the world in okay. terms of Brunch became this metaphor of like the social script, the thing that you're supposed to do because everyone does it. Ah, uh, the expectation. Exactly. Like everyone does brunch. So you have to do brunch and that's what we do on the weekends. And that's what we talk about on Monday. Yeah. And you're better than brunch became represent representative that we can choose our own social scripts. I can choose to subscribe to like, what's normal for me, what my definition of success is, what I want to be and have in the world. Sure. And so we spent this weekend exploring that. We did it like cell phone free and and just sort of looking at what is a meaningful experience in, in our world. It was an amazing experience. And I, I really got to know my two co-founders from Cave Day who, who I'd like met tangentially. I met one through your Better Than Brunch event and one through that. So I met Molly at a You're Better Than Brunch event. Okay. And then she introduced me to Jeremy at another one. And, you know, I, I like I knew them, but I didn't really know them. And we really bonded that weekend. And this was the, the retreat was in October of 2016. Okay. And in November, we all got together for coffee or something, drinks or something. Uh, and Jeremy came to us and said, I had an amazing weekend. You know, we're all catching up. He says, I had an amazing weekend. I just spent it in the cave. I went upstate to my parents' house. I shut off the Wi-Fi and I wrote a whole screenplay in a weekend. And, and usually it wow. takes me like six months. Okay. But I feel really drained. I feel like we could we, we should do something with that idea. And Molly, who's an event producer, was like, "Oh, we could we should put together an event." And my background was in branding, and you know, I had said 
you know, we should, we should turn this into a, a, a brand and, and like sort of turn this into a, a thing and not just like a, a, a one-off event or a, yeah. a whatever, a little project. So uh, it took us about two or three months of research and promoting, but we just planned this one event. We just said, well, we'll we had a co-working space donate their space for a, a full Sunday. Okay. We were able to get some free coffee and, you know, lunches donated and some snacks. And basically we researched putting together a methodology for how to work together, work alongside one another in a way that feels energizing and socially connected. So it's not just, you know, sitting at the library for eight hours. And we, we put this cave day together, uh, uh, again, so January 7, 2017, January 2017, we run our first event. It's an eight hour day. It's exhausting, but everyone is like, that was amazing. You know, we were gathering people that like, sort of like me would work on the weekends. And it's not rare that you like work on your side project, you update your website, you rewrite your screenplay. That's what, you know, these are people who had side projects who were working on them. Sure. And every single person was like, that was amazing. I would do that again. I, I want to do that again. When's your next one? And we didn't, we didn't have enough, you know, this was just like a thing we wanted to do for our friends. It's January beginning of the year. And, and we, so we turned to, to each other and we said, Hey, we, we just, we just made like 200 bucks each. That was pretty cool. Uh, do you want to do one again? And we ran one in March, you know, a, a month and a half or so later. And we sold out again, you know, 50 people came. Uh, and we happened to have a journalist who was there, you know, participating and he ended up writing about us in fast company a couple weeks later when it went live. And it's basically that that's the history is like, you know, we then had people asking us about it, bringing us into their company. Um, and maybe the way that I tell that seems like we were a success and like, rich from the, the the start and and i want to definitely be, be transparent as i continue to tell the story of cave day which is like it's still not my full income it's still sure. uh about a quarter to a third of my income even though it's more than half of my time and we are we're doing better in covid than we did pre-covid which feels uncomfortable but is the reality. And, and so obviously maybe I skipped a step there, but we were running entirely remotely now and we run okay. um, about 30 sessions a week of okay. these deep, these, yeah, we can, we can come back to that, but. Um, yeah. Let's come back to that. Jake, can I ask you a clarifying question? Yeah. Did you meet Molly and Jeremy as a result of your better than brunch? Were they friends or acquaintances before, or were they folks that came to an event? Were they plus ones of someone else's? Yeah, that, that's exactly the, the, the way that it, it went down. Okay. Uh, yeah, Molly and I met, met at a dinner, but we, uh, we met at a dinner a couple of weeks before, and then I invited her to a Your Better Than Brunch event, and that's where we like, you, could, you know, we could say we met at the dinner, and, and we spent a lot more time at Your Better Than Brunch together. Um, sure. And then, yeah. And then she invited Jeremy to a, a rooftop concert. She, she had, um, classical music at her, on her rooftop and that was your better than brunch type thing. And okay, that's, that's where I met Jeremy. Got it. Okay. Um, January, 2017 is when you all did your first event. Um, and it's in New York city. Yep. It was okay. in Soho. 
So the idea was that you were holding the cave day events um, inside of co-working or other kinds of workspaces. Um, and I mean workspaces in comparison to residential spaces. Exactly. So we had a okay. co-working space that donated their space. And then we did that for about three or four events. And then we moved to uh, breather spaces. We, we had a relationship with breather and, and we would be all over New York City you know, a different spot every day, basically, when we were running those events. Got it. Jake, for those of you listening who don't know, what is Breather? Sorry, Breather is sort of like WeWork meets Airbnb. They they like rent out spaces in big office buildings oh. and they furnish it. It's like really nice tables and Wi-Fi and some of the bigger ones have couches and refrigerators. Um, and so we would take over some of the bigger spaces and we would uh, run our events in those spaces. So it's not just helping individuals to focus on work in these cave day events, but you're also having businesses reach out to you during this time, right? Mm -hmm. um, wanting to figure out how they can create um, environments for um, groups of people and employees um, to do better and more focused work. Yeah. I mean, like, like I said, we, you know, we ran this one event and then a second one and after the Fast Company article came out the next week, it was like, we're getting a lot of companies reaching out to us saying, how do you work with us? How can sure. we bring you? Uh, we have no idea. It's not that we don't, we're not <laughs> even a company. We weren't even an LLC. We just like, we're, we're three friends just, uh, you know, who, who had done some research on, you know, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi's flow and uh, uh, sort of how to, how to take breaks when we work. Yeah. Jake, what did you just say? The Mihai, send me high. What is that? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Sorry, uh, it's 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 one man. His name is Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, um, and it's it's spelled. I'm not even going to spell his last name, but his first name is M I H A L Y. But he wrote he wrote a book called Flow. He wrote another book called Creativity. Oh, and it's yeah. about sort of these optimal mental states. That we often find, you know, flow is like when you fully immerse yourself in a, a thing. So we've likely experienced that when we're exercising or cooking or dancing or playing music or making art or those kind of, you know, jigsaw puzzles. It's sort of like playing chess, those kinds of things that are like fully immersive and require full attention. And, and he studied basically like these mental states. So, um, Essentially, like what he learned is that the quality of your work goes up. You learn about three times faster. We generate new and novel and strange and more interesting ideas. Um, and and the book, like the subtitle of the book, Flow, I, I don't remember exactly what it is, but it has a lot to do with happiness. That people who are in this state are happier. That they report, um, you know, when you're fully engaged in something, when you're um, sort of losing track of time. Uh, you're, you're happier. And so if we can find that in our work and, and monotask and, and lose ourselves, lose track of time a little bit and um, immerse ourselves that people will generate better work, learn faster, be happier, you know, all that stuff is, is important. Yeah. Better work, learn faster, be happier. Super important. And uh, <laughs> thanks for helping me with the phonetic pronunciation of his name. I don't think that I've ever heard it audibly before. Um, Okay, so since Cave Day started in 2016, a lot of time has passed. You mentioned the notion of remote, working remote, um, about the in-person workshops in New York City. 
How does it work today? Uh, so right now we're entirely remote. We've been running remote caves. We call that we call our deep work sessions caves. Okay. Um, we've we've been running remote sessions for a little over a year now, like pre-pandemic. Okay. Um, we were doing uh, sort of a little bit in New York, a little bit in LA, and a little bit remote. And okay. you know, since March 2020, we're we've gone entirely remote. Uh, okay. We're we're running about 30 sessions a week. Some of the sessions oh, are wow. one hour, one hour, one sprints, and some are three hour, three sprints. Uh, we call, you know, we break it down into sprints and breaks in between. Um, and it's all remote. And we have, we have no plans because it's hard to plan anything right now, but we have no plan right now about whether or not we'll go back to in-person because our community has grown internationally. And, and so to say, hey, we're going back to New York means we're leaving out 500 people 500 other members people. who yeah. yeah yeah that doesn't feel that doesn't feel right that doesn't feel very inclusive so what's a lesson or a few of the lessons that you've learned in the time that you've been doing cave day one of the big things that i'd love to talk about is our phones our phones are the biggest distractor that we all have right in front of us and if people want to learn anything from this podcast or cave day or anything is having your phone reduces your cog can reduce your cognitive abilities sure and the university of chicago did a study in 2017 that said that having your phone upside down even on airplane mode just temporarily can make you dumber right it, it challenges our cognitive abilities and so um, by putting your phone out of reach out of sight you can sort of boost your cognitive abilities automatically and and part of what i like to explain is that we get so used to distracting ourselves. The average person unlocks their screen about 80 to 150 times a day. Wow. Which is, which is anywhere from like three to five minutes you're unlocking your phone. Okay. You know, depending on how long you're awake and blah, blah, blah. So the average person unlocks their, their phone between 80 and 150 times a day, which has a dramatic effect on our work. If we're expected to be working eight hours a day or whatever, whatever you're expected to do, maybe more than that. Microsoft did a parallel study that, that showed that the average focus time at work is 40 seconds at a time. Huh. And, and obviously part of that is, part of that is uh, other people distracting us. It's emails popping up and Slack messages. And you know, at, at, uh, six months ago, it was people coming up to your desk and saying, how was your weekend? What are you doing? Sure. Hey, I'm, yeah, well, all that stuff. But I think a big part that we don't talk about is how we get in our own way. Because we're so used to unlocking our screens so much and looking for that hit of dopamine when we see a message come in or when we see new news or when we refresh our feeds, and we all do that. Like, if you have a phone, that's what you do. Yeah. Uh, if you have a smartphone. But what ends up happening is, you know, you, you start writing an email. And as soon as it gets challenging, as soon as you're not getting a hit of dopamine, we're used to that. So we, we're used to getting something that feels good. So we open up another tab and we say, oh, I got to check that Google Doc and write a Google Doc. Mm. And, and so now I start writing that and I make a comment. And um, you know what I just remembered? Oh, shit, today's the, today's the fourth of the month. Or this is, the, you know, I have to check that my, my paycheck on the first cleared. And so I go to my bank and that's loading slowly. But I know that when that loads and I, if everything's good, then I'm going to, you know, be able to buy that thing on Amazon. So now I'm, you know, opening up an Amazon tab and while I'm here, I might yeah. as well buy toilet paper and groceries. And now I'm buying <laughs> toilet paper when I was, you know, just writing sure. that email. Uh, <laughs> sure. Because we're used to this, like f every 40 seconds, I need, I need something new. 
And yeah. And it's not that the world is spiraling down the toilet. It's it's that we can train ourselves to do better. Okay. You know, it, it's like by putting your phone out of reach, out of sight, by training yourself or, or by getting in the habit of what well, well, it's not, we didn't own this, but we're, we're going to like brand it and own it as cave day, which is the more we can monotask yeah. instead of multitask. Yeah. And, and when those things come up and they will that like check your bank account, buy groceries, call your mom, all those things to, to write a quick note. I always keep a post-it note next to me okay. when I'm working because when that comes up, let me just write it down. Yeah. But I'm going to tell my brain like, hey, you're supposed to be monotasking. So get it down so you don't forget it of and course. then stay on task. Yeah. And we can extend that 40 seconds at a time to, you know, as, as much as science shows us like up to about 52 minutes wow. of like concentrated focus work before we just need a little break and we can, you know, extend that focus for a little bit longer, a little bit longer. Yeah. That's a tremendous increase. I mean, even just to, I, I wasn't expecting you to say 52 minutes. I was expecting you to say something like, you know, go from 40 seconds to like five minutes. But <laughs> I, I, Look, that that's like step six, you know, it's like, let's go from 40 <laughs> seconds to a minute. Let's go from yeah. a minute to two minutes. Yeah. Um, and, and all of that is just sort of self-discipline. And um, in a lot of ways, it's sort of being a manager or a, a <laughs> the fast company article that came out in in march of 2017 called us productivity nannies okay because we would because we would take away your phone we're sort of like sure you know giving you the structure and the guidelines for how to work and so in some ways you know it's about managing yourself and being your own productivity nanny sure to say hey before i do my work let me set things up right let me put my phone away let me close those tabs let me you know, get my water and, um, you know, get a notepad by my side and a pen so that I'm ready to work and, and yeah. creating an environment of focus instead of just saying, whenever I'm in front of my computer, I am working. And so late at night when I have to work, I just open up my computer and I'm sort of emailing and I'm sort of watching Netflix and I'm sort of, uh, you know, listening to three things and like, that's not work and that's not doing you any justice. No, you're right. That's not work. And I don't think it's very helpful. I want to, Jake, I want to go back to something you were just saying around our phones and in our work, in our home space, hmm. because I think we've been in meetings where someone's walked in um, or a few people have walked in and they have their phones and they put them down on the table. Even if, like you said before, it's on airplane mode or it's asleep or locked or whatever, I've seen this before in restaurants where people are having dinner together and they will put their phone down on the table next to them and it's turned over. Um, but even in our homes, this creeps in, right? This idea of phones at the dinner table. In my house, we have a no phones rule. And part of it is because... Why? Why no phones? I mean, I know, but let, let's just say it explicitly. Yeah, okay. Why? So when you're sitting with your phone at the table, it feels as though you're not present Totally. And that doesn't feel right. True, someone might be waiting for a phone call, but most of the time you're not. Plus, it's not like in this country generally, we have these long, drawn-out dinners, right? Our yeah. dinners at night are typically like 30, 45 minutes, maybe an hour long. And if someone calls us, there's voicemail on our phones, right? These are modern phones. It'll pick up the phone. And if it's an emergency, they'll call back or try some other way. 
Yeah. Like you, we have a young child in our family, and I can already see the impact of screens on her. Once, and this was a couple years ago, she asked me to come play with her. And I was doing something on my phone. I don't remember what it was, but I was doing something. And I said, okay, hold on, just a minute. And she said, Dada, fine, you can bring your phone with you. And I thought, wow, she just called me out. Mm -hmm. I mean, the first iPhone came out in 2013. So this is still a fairly new paradigm, these smartphones and these objects of distraction. And I think it's up to us to model better behavior. How do we build better behavior? Is that rhetorical or that that's the point? <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, I guess not rhetorical, um, but more so I, yes and. How do we start? Yeah, I, I think it sort of goes back to like that early, you know, work session that I had in 2013, which is like when we can get our work done more efficiently, when we can, you know, if we can learn to look, I'm at work, let me just get my stuff done. I don't necessarily need to work till five or six because the workday is inefficient. Um, you know, the, we, get, we get more out of meetings when we're fully present. We get more out of meals and time with people when we're fully present. And when we're trying to multitask, the, I mean, psychologists don't even call it multitasking anymore. They, they, they call it continuous partial attention, which is a phrase that's coming up more and more. It was coined by Linda Stone, who's um, an ex-Apple and Microsoft person who's now a tech journalist. But continuous partial attention is like, uh, you know, you, you, I'm at the dinner table and you have part of my attention the whole time. Sure, but my phone has part of my attention and I'm also thinking about something else. And, um, you know, when we, when we can be more present and give full attention in in meetings and and to our breaks and distractions when when we're giving those things those the, that attention we can do them more efficiently otherwise our brain just gets tired and exhausted and we don't feel like we're um you know we don't feel like we're accomplishing as much as we could we don't feel like we're you know you know that feeling of like it's six o'clock and you've worked all day but you didn't get any work done <laughs> Um, it's, it's because of that feeling of shallow work and multitasking. And you're like, I was doing things all day. I was busy, but did you actually like, you know, focus on a demanding task without distraction? Did you focus on any one thing for more than 40 seconds? And, and sure. Yeah. So if we're so distracted because of modern technology and just life in general, how do we get better at working? But, but it's, Look, you, you and your wife and your daughter have set up some rules for your, your dinner table, likely right. explicitly. You didn't just sort of come to this conclusion that, you know, without talking about it, that we don't bring the phones to the dinner table. Sure. And, and what I think is missing a lot in the workplace and, and within teams and within corporate structures is that same explicit rule setting agreement making. Um, mm. And so... We joke around at Cave Day, we call it the first day of kindergarten meeting, where, you know, the first day of kindergarten, you sit around in a circle and the teacher says, what are the rules of the playground? Because this is the first time kids are now in a social space outside of their house. Totally. So they, they need to get socialized. And so they say, what are the rules of the playground? Well, we clean up after ourselves. We don't push and we ask permission and we share and great. Those make the list. We put them on the front of the board and we follow these rules or these sure. agreements. And as a team... I think it's important. It feels like you have buy-in. It feels like you have, um, you know, some level of 
contribution to how your team structures, which makes you more invested in the team, which makes you more engaged, which makes you feel like you have more freedom and there's more purpose in your work and all that stuff. When a manager can sit the team together and say, what are the rules of our team? How do we protect deep work time? How can we make sure that people aren't emailing at 10, 11 at night and on weekends? How can we make sure that people don't have to check Slack every 30 seconds to make sure they didn't miss anything? Um, and you know, we, we've got tips and I don't think we have enough time for that, but I think just the intention of like, how do we communicate better? How do we run meetings better? And how do we, yeah. you know, work, protect some deep work time so that, um, we can, um, encourage focus and, and monotasking so that people can get better work done. Totally. Um, let's just jump into the, let's just jump into the last couple questions. Yeah. You know, and, you know, maybe this is related to focus and work, but what's what's one of the most important lessons that you've learned so far in your in your life or in your work? Um, so one thing that I've learned is is about um, removing distractions, not just at work, but in other parts of my life. And it's a hard thing to do. It's sort of like meditating constantly. It's like, you know, there are times if, if you've ever tried to meditate and I'm, I don't consider myself a good meditator and I don't do it that often, but you know, your, your brain tends to wander. You're that's the work of the, of meditating. And sure. I, I find that, uh, to be the relationship that I have with distractions and with my phone and with technology that like the intention is to be fully present in whatever I'm doing and to, um, you know, have deep conversations when I can. Um, and there are days and times and weekends where I just want to watch TV and I just want to be on my phone. And, and I think that's okay. Uh, like I, I'm learning to be more comfortable with like the self-compassion part of this process and knowing that, look, I'm, I'm better than I was a year ago and way better than I was five years ago at, at managing distraction at trying to extend my, um, attention span and, um, you know, being mindful of, my own, uh, my own distractions and the things that get in the way, you know, removing social media from my, my phones and, and creating yeah. friction in that way. So yeah. I think that that's one of the big lessons that I'm starting to learn is, is that this is a process. This is a relationship with technology and just like a relationship with a person, you know, there's going to be some energizing and exciting moments and lessons learned, and there's going to be really challenging and draining and difficult points. And that's normal, but it, it's sort of this ongoing thing. The other thing that I, that I'll say, and I asked you this on Slack, which was the best piece of advice you've gotten as as a leader. Yeah. Um, and and an old mentor teacher of mine used to say, "There's two kinds of people. There's people that make excuses, and there's people that get shit done." And and that's always stuck with me as as like I I don't want to just sort of make excuses. I want to be the kind of person that um, gets shit done. That's a pretty apropos mantra given our topic of conversation. So Jake, where can people find out more about you? Um, are you online? Are you on social media? I'm not much on social media, but caveday.org is a great place. I write the monthly newsletter uh, and all, all of the, the content there. Um, uh, you can find me personally at jakekahana.com. Um, I write a monthly newsletter sort of related to your Better Than Brunch about sort of modern philosophy, making more meaning yeah. in our lives, finding interesting patterns and things going on every day. Um, and that's monthly as well. I call it the email refrigerator. It's a great name. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. I, the, we don't have enough time to go to the backstory, but it's essentially, you know, re the refrigerator is where we get snacks and 
a little bit of light and we put our best artwork of the month up there. So uh, it's a temporary space for me to put things out there and uh, be, be uh, held accountable to, to that. So. Well, it's always so lovely to have it land in my inbox. So thank you for making it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Skipper. And, and thanks for listening, everyone. And I uh, hope to see you in the cave soon. And with that, thank you for listening to How This Works. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and leave us a review. This is our first episode, and so it would be so helpful if you could tell one other person about the show and why they should listen to it. How This Works is also online at howthisworks.show. It's three words, no dashes. Again, that's howthisworks.show. And you can also find us in the place where social media happens. Thanks so much for listening. I hope that you learned something from my talk with Jake today. There are some things that I want to do around focus work myself, and we'll talk again soon. Is there a lot of background noise? I don't hear anything. Okay, great. Um, if you don't hear anything, then awesome. Um, so, uh,